The Examine Life podcast, discussing society, culture, philosophy to entertain ourselves and perhaps others. I think what Putin's doing in Ukraine is totally destroying that for millions and millions of people. <laughs> so let me ask you, like, as someone that basically, yeah, has, has no idea what's happening in Ukraine. Mm. Like, how would you explain what is actually happening in Ukraine? What do you, how would you summarize, you know, what's, what's happening yeah, at the man. moment? Oh, so we committed on doing this podcast a couple of weeks ago and, you know, the typical individual, the less, you know, the more you think, you know, so I've delved into it and I've, um, I've delved and I've delved and I've gone so deep and I'm starting to get the bends. I'm getting so deep. <laughs> um, so the more I know, the more I realize I know nothing. And so I, I crammed for a few days on a particular topic on, you know, the actual Ukraine history. And then I thought I better look into the rise of Putin and the history of the fall of the Soviet Union. And yeah, now my mind is just a mess. You know, I don't even know where to begin. Um, it's crazy. Um, we're going to have to just sort of um, just just have a basic conversation and just uh, try and, you know, draw things out of it as we go, because there's, there's nowhere to, no real good place to start on this one. It's a really, really complex topic. Right. Well, maybe let's just from my day. begin, you know, who threw the first time? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, how long has Russia been invading Ukraine at the moment? Uh, since so 2004. Mm. Okay. So what's the day today? It's the 26th of March, 2022, where I'm at 27th of mm. March for you. Okay. So, all right. So at the moment, like what's that? six, eight, eight years, I guess. So when did Russia first invade Ukraine? Yeah. 2014. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I, what, there's a whole bunch of stuff I want to say, but it's all in context, you know, so it's sort of hard to sort of um, just get it out there. Hmm. Okay. Well, what, what do you like? What was the difference of why, why did Putin invade Ukraine uh, eight years ago? What, what was happening then? Um, okay. Well, just a brief summary without um, giving too much away, I guess. Um, his main idea. Um, okay. I'm just trying to fix the screen up because you put that there. Um, his main idea was, um, oh man. Okay, so since the Soviet Union fell um, over time, and I, th I think legally, you know, the, the, the countries of the old um, Soviet Union of, of, the, of the Eastern Bloc, um, you know, pulled away from, from Russia as, as, you know, the, the main dominating country, hegemon, so sovereignty, um, sovereign nation, and um, started going west and they've been going into the eu they've always they a lot of them have wanted to become part of the eu have wanted to become part of nato um i'm not even sure what that even means the north atlantic trade organization i think it is yeah north and, atlantic um, treaty organization treaty organization and the so i've got no information here everything i say is good like, I, I have studied it but my memory is shocking so everything i say is going to be pretty much conventionally factual that I want to mix up names and stuff. Um, so it just seems that every, every few years, you know, another nation falls under EU, under NATO, 
and um, like Poland, uh, all those northern Baltic states, or pretty much what, what, what we're concerned about, what Putin, Putin's concerned about. Uh, you, you had the East and the West, you know, the Iron Curtain that Churchill sort of said happened after the, the, the fall of the, the Second World War and the Cold War began. The Iron Curtain had descended. Um, all the Eastern countries fell under under Stalin and Russia, which, um, you know, Stalin pretty much marched in um, into a power vacuum once the Nazis kind of retreated. So the Nazis kind of um, set it all up for him. And um, so now since the Soviet Union fell, the reverse has kind of happened again, which is <laughs> the funny thing about history. Um, and uh, good map there. I can see that now. Yeah, so we, I don't even know what countries are actually part of the that's an old map because there is no Czechoslovakia. It's uh, the Czech Republic and Slovakia and Romania. And then top of Romania there is the Ukraine. So just below the Soviet Union there. Um, yeah, so more countries are becoming EU connected. Uh, they want NATO protection. They want trade alliances with the West. And Putin feels threatened. You know, he wants a buffer state pretty much is kind of his argument. So. As you said in the past week, um, let's do our best to try and argue objectively on their side as well, man. I don't know how we're going to do it, but let's try, you know. Well, maybe I could start with NATO because NATO is to me, mm. they seem like basically Western, well, the Eastern, no, sorry, um, like America. propaganda, yeah, propaganda for the United States. It seems like mm. Russia and Putin hate NATO because they feel like as soon as you're part of NATO, then you're part of the West. You're part of this democracy. It's it's. I teach this all the time with my students. Mm. Them versus us, right? You become something else. The 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 Russians don't, and the and the East don't don't identify. You know, and a lot of other countries don't identify with, um, you know, ca capitalism and democracy, in that sense. So they just think that it's part of the U the USA's plan of controlling the the globalized world. Is that a fair call? Yeah. So it seems like they hate NATO because NATO is like political yeah. propaganda, but it's also, it's, 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 it's reinforcing an ideology and it's also backed with some kind of military power. Like I was hearing Biden today and he was saying that if anyone, if, if the Russians go and touch any of NATO's territory, we will, we will re retaliate immediately because that is sacred ground. That's basically what he said, because I read the NATO thing and I've got it here. Like basically, and it's the mm. NATO stuff comes from um, North Atlantic Treaty Organization. It's It seems like this has been written by people from the United States. It's a political military um, pact. That basically, much, I'm going to say it's pretty much a, a bulwark against the Soviet Union, if anything. That's just a guess. you know. Right. That's exactly what I mean. So like Russia would feel like that NATO is this... Uh, collective, I imagine like bullies in the schoolyard and the leaders in the schoolyard and the Americans have a, you know, the Americans are just, you know, they're trying to collude with all their friends and say, let's all get together and go against Russia, right? Let's go against those guys. And NATO is a way of, of consolidating power and ideologies against, um, mm. against the East. Mm. I, I like how you're saying it because as, as you said, let's be objective and, and me, I'm very, um, sub subjective towards the, the the West, and I would be explaining this in such uh, 
subjective terms to justify the West. So I think you're really putting a good uh, devil's advocate here. So yeah, thank keep you. that up. That's good. That's good, man. Yeah, I, thank I think, you. I think we need this in the, in the discourse. Well, yeah, and I think it's important mm-hmm. because there is this definitely resentment. And, and I'm not saying that, obviously, I'm not saying that Russia is doing things that are ethical, right? But I'm saying that from their point of view, they would feel like their ideology is demonized, devalued, and criticized. And I don't know if there is a, a valuable, reasonable, logical argument for communism and for mm, any kind of... Is. Ta- of course there is. Yeah, but, but, but the communism that they 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 mm. propagate like autocracy yes which mm. ex- ex- exactly so i don't know if there is i don't know if there's a reasonable rational argument for mm. communism uh in with sh- like a shared power of communism right of just so they kind of say this communism kind of fell apart with stalin you know stalin kind of overthrew any or even even lenin you know he, he started take, taking it more in like a uh a nationalist kind of fascist system you know obviously fascism is based on race but um the whole autocratic system sort of overthrew the, any conception of communism and um yeah through that utopia out the window so arguing that you, communism is evil is kind of a misnomer you know you gotta be a bit more specific when you talk about you know stalinism and things like that you know? Because, yeah, because when people say stuff like that, they say what Stalinism or they talk Leninism, about, you know, Lexington, Marxism. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like it's an ideology that someone has created and they've created mm. their own set of rules and government. Yeah. And it's like, let's implement this government and that's going to work. It's kind of crazy, I think, you know, it's, but I don't know if you solidify their own power and call it communism. Yeah, because communism. Communism has has there ever been a system of communism with delegated or dispersed power um, for its you know autocratic leaders for for leaders mm. basically. I don't think communism has ever worked, and I don't think it will ever work, and I don't think any uh, what do you call it fundamentalist system ever does. Systems only work when they have a combination of several ideologies to hold them up. You know. Right. No matter, yeah. Even if you're pro um, capitalist, there's you know socialist backgrounds there, and it would have started in mercantil mercantilism, and, you know, under monarchies and stuff like that as well. So it does. But this NATO business does that seem like you know World War like a mm-hmm. World War Three you know combination where you have mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. you know if 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 Ukraine was part of NATO. That I, I think from what I what I've read and heard recently is that could that have triggered World War Three? So okay, I like what you're saying, but the way I want to sort of justify it is I want to throw it back to um the First World War, where kind of the main reasons why the First World War happened was because of the alliance treaties and the alliance structures that were put into place to to to, to defend everyone. So. Uh, what was it? France and Russia allied with Britain to say, if anyone invades you guys, we'll defend you. Um, Russia allied with Serbia, and then you know Germany allied with God knows Italy, Ottoman Empire, um, uh, Germany, Austria, whatever the hell it was. And then when Austria invaded Serbia or whatever it was, Sarajevo. Um, Germany was forced to move in and then 
domino effect happens and then Russia had to move in and France had to move in and, you know, whole shit falling, shit storm. So the whole concept of alliance treaties kind of creates a lot of troubles for people. But that's, again, another complex situation because, you know, we are pretty much staying out of it in, in a militarily sort of um, perspective. And if you want to look back at Syria, you know, uh, Russia's had troops on the ground in Syria and they've, t they've totally destroyed that place. And uh, we haven't we haven't got in there. Obviously, they're not a NATO country, but um, what, what much better does it do if 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 a country is allowed just to go and invade a country? Sometimes I think we need to just bite the bullet and stop these warlords and these aggressors that think they can take everything which would, wouldn't that deeper. wouldn't that cause literally world war three that, that, that's my problem with um the argument that putin's making now i think even before he invaded uh, the ukraine on the like again more recently the, the recent invasion uh a couple of weeks before it happened he's or even a year before it happened he said if the West decide to encroach anywhere near on the Crimea or anywhere near on these annexed lands, you know, there's going to be hell to pay. You know, you better watch out if you if you come in and um, try and reclaim your land. It could be World War Three, you know. And if this man's already willing to talk like that, it goes to show that he's not. He's either he's scaremongering, or he's a psychopath. So um, it's I hate to do it, but I've heard so many other people do it recently. There are so many analogs to Hitler here. And it's like, if you keep on giving this man one more step, um, one more inch, one more territorial demand, he's going to just be more emboldened. You know, it's like, it's almost like thinking of Thanos. Have you, have you ever seen the Avengers? He gets one more diamond in his, one more gem in his, in his glove. He becomes that one more tiny bit more powerful. And finally, when he feels like his glove's full, he's going to conquer the world, you know? So is he going to stop, you know? Well, especially he's, he's got impunity scared. as well. What's impunity? Like, especially he's, he's, he's operating basically with impunity. No one's think, intervening. Yeah, no one's confronting him. No one's really holding him accountable. They're just kind of mm. ignoring it because, I don't know, I imagine that with Syria, there's it's... It's it's ironic that the the countries that are pro protected in Europe are rich countries and they're you know capitalist democratic countries. They're not Muslim countries. Mm. They're not countries in the Middle East. They're mm. not. Oh, they're oil not rich. Mm. Uh huh. That's the idea. I think I heard the other day. And I think from what you're saying, to add what you're saying is they they kind of are just a, a thorn in in Putin's side to sort of say Americans are now saying, hey, look, hey, we've got the, the old um. Soviet bloc, you know, we're starting to take the Soviet bloc away from you kind of thing. And um, we're reversing the, the, the way it used to be, you know, things, things look like a mirror image of what they used to be. And you're losing more and more territory. But again, as we go in the conversation, it's a lot more complex than that. But it's, it's, this is a really good start to the conversation, I think. I think we're laying a lot of foundation. Mm. Why did the um, USSR fall apart? What, do you have a simplified, <laughs> simplified answer to that question? Oh my God. Remember the conversations we had a couple of weeks ago, how, you know, civilizations don't collapse. <laughs> I think the Soviet Union did collapse. Uh, Nazi Germany collapsed. Um, as far as I know, they, they sort of blame it on the, their invasion of Af Afghanistan, um, a lot of corruption. They probably, um, 
outstretch themselves. That's that's probably um, academic consensus. And again, these are all just theories that people have come up with. Um, it would have just all been underlying corruption, a lack of um, wealth, a lack of an ability to. Um, this will take us back to an interesting topic. Uh, uh, money to um, look after the state, and um, to segue on this one um, to talk about uh, the Ukraine and under the Soviet Union to talk about the Holodomor. I was telling you about the Holodomor, the, the Ukrainian plague, which happened in 1933 or whatever it was, 36, I think it might have been, where um, the Ukraine is the breadbasket of, of Europe and um, pretty much uh, Stalin, when they took the Ukraine, um, pretty much took all the all the farmers who had really high yield crops and mm. you know really um profitable farms and pretty much stole all their harvest all their grain all their wheat left them with nothing took all this wheat into moscow into the major centers and said hey look what, what look at the economic miracle that communism has created and uh pretty much swept six million deaths of the ukrainians under the under the under the rug and um just use that as a pretense to act like communism was actually working efficiently when um it was actually falling apart you got it there forced collectivization yeah so the the people of the ukraine were, were forced into collectivizing their farms and i don't know what that means but i guess they all had to sort of get together and so just a little piece of land and as i think you showed me or i think i showed you um jordan peterson was talking about the, the 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 Russians had to put up signs saying it is not okay to eat your children. You know, it's, it's a it's a very well known um, ca catastrophe. Um, what would you call it? You know, famine that happened in 1936 caused by Stalin just trying to um, artificially promote um, communism. Were people actually eating their children? Yeah, every you had to. They ate everyone. There was um. Some some story that you didn't want to walk out at nighttime because you might get killed and eaten more. Well, I mean, it's it's, it's it's scary. Actually, I saw a movie on it at the start of last year. If you look it up, it's someone's name. The, the guy who actually was like an ambassador or a journalist, and he escaped to Moscow and went into the Ukraine and um, took photos of everything that happened and, and escaped. That's kind of the first guy that um someone Jones um actually released it to the outside world. Peterson says that no one knew about it in the West denied it for so long, but no, I think everyone knew about it. It was pretty serious. Um, but, um, I've, I've met a few, um, at least second or third generation Ukrainians or first generation Ukrainians, and it's called the Holodomor, and it's like a huge thing that the Ukrainians, you know, despise Russia for, you know, like, <laughs> this is like, uh, not not the first thing that Stalin did, but it's, it's, a, it's a great example of one of the worst things that he did, you know. But like to dumb this shit down a little bit, but the USSR mm. basically seems to me like um, Moscow and Russia controlling, basically controlling all of that big chunk of land and all of those countries and having them under one federal government. What is uh, it? The Union, Union of Socialists, Soviet Socialist Republics. Right. Um, it's like a federal yeah, so, union of all these different countries and states mm, so that they all would be governed under one one law and then Russia mm, would have control and then they would unite as, mm, you know, unite as um, other as, as, as countries and probably, you know, countries economically and, and militarily so that they could basically go um, 
be powerful together. And that's a, that's actually a smart idea. That's what Latin America mm. basically needs to do. And then they could, mm. they, then there'd be a formidable opposition for the West. I wouldn't say together. I'd say, yeah, together, but under, under, the, the, under the umbrella hegemony, hegemony. But um, uh, just as you're saying that I, I'm, I'm thinking um, on the side of Russia, you know, if you, if you, you want to criticize Russia and it taking all this territory after the second world war, as I said, the power vacuum, I, I, I forgot the, the territory that they took pretty much half of Germany. They took from the Baltic half of Germany, I think, um, Churchill stood his ground and maintained Greece to stay part of the West. Uh, Austria, I think, might have stayed part of the West, but everything else to the East fell under Soviet rule. And um, there's a few times in like Hungary in like 56 or seven where like people broke out in like civil rebellion and, you know, the the Politburo or the, the, the leadership of the, the Soviet Union just sent in tanks and just mowed them down and said, Put your head in the line there's nothing you can do about it you can see the map there but i can't make out what countries they are you can definitely see slovenia there there's, yeah. there's a lot there's a line pretty much going cutting germany in half and i think cutting be a better one it's cutting east yeah yugoslavia falls in the east by the looks of it i didn't know that yeah that yugoslavia, makes sense because yeah yugoslavia is under tito yugoslavia is, it doesn't exist anymore does it it's what it's all broken up into like Montenegro and um, Serbia and yeah, that's know. what I thought. Yugoslavia. Yeah. I met I've met some people from Yugoslavia Croatia, and they yeah, have... but that was ruled under Tito at the time. That's right. an, that's an interesting story because Tito was um, a communist, but um, somehow he fell out with Stalin and he actually sided with the Americans. So he was one of the one of the people that managed to actually like to fend off Stalin throughout that whole period. And, uh, but he still had a totalitarian regime. And I've heard many people say it was great living under that form of government, but I've heard plenty of people. Now, if you, if you really question them and you sort of say, oh, but what were the police like? And they're like, oh, you, you can't speak your mind in those communities. You know, you, know, you can't say what you think. <laughs> you go to jail, you know, so it's a fine Sorry. line between true happiness and real freedom. So the USSR basically started from from Stalin. He no, he tried. No, no, no. Okay, so Marx that was way before, came, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Marx went with communism, and then Lenin. So Lenin um, took on the ideas of March of Marx because his brother was killed by the Tsar in a in a sort of rebellion, and so Lenin decided to get his um, revenge, and he was sent off to a a gulag before there were gulags in Siberia. Eventually he escaped to, um, he escaped to Switzerland. Okay. Switzerland. Yeah, Switzerland. And then at the end of this, the first world war, the Germans thought, um, a good way to overthrow Russia will be to send this Lenin guy in back in and, yeah. Yeah, and to undermine the, so, uh, the, the Russian government, the czar and yeah, caused dissent within the, the people and that started the, I think it was the February revolution and then over, over through the Tsar, Nicholas II and his wife or whatever. And um, that sort of, I think it started out pretty well in February, I think, and it was kind of a bit more of a democratic kind of communism, but it wasn't until like the October revolution that Lenin sort of, you got it up here now, um, really overthrew yeah, the, the provisional government. The one that had earlier replaced the House of Romanov. 
is what is written there. Um, but that's, I think, you know, I've heard a lot of bad things about Lenin, but from what I've come, Lenin wasn't as bad as Stalin. He was kind of forced, you know, I, I was saying it the other day, you know, as soon as the communists sort of took power, um, a, lot, a lot of the Western countries invaded Russia to prevent the, the, the Russian revolution from happening. They invaded, they invaded in the port of Archangel in the north. Churchill was, I think, one of the main instigators. Australian troops were in, in, involved, involved as well. And they were called the whites, the Russians were called the reds. And anyone that was anti-communist or, you know, higher class or academic fought on the side of the whites. And the civil war lasted until like 22 or something. So, um, and, the, and the Bolsheviks won in the long run. And as I said, I've met plenty of people who, um, you know, they're white as, as me or anyone else. Um, Anglo-Saxon, Slavic, and um, they're, they're Chinese. You know, it's like, where are you from? China. I was like, what the hell? And it's like, oh, during the 1917 revolution, they ran and they crossed the border to live in China up until, up until 56 or 60, and then it got too hard for them in China and they ended up moving somewhere else, you know? So that's yeah, the start. But the, the Bolsheviks they were the political party against the the czar mm. right and they ended up getting... mm. basically yeah okay and then they... mensheviks bolsheviks there's a few parties right but they yeah as a, they, as a they, took, they took power right and they then, took power and then Le power. yeah and then lenin installed stalin in his government no, i think no no so lenin was shot by some lady in like 1921 or something because um Obviously, Lenin was corrupt and he changed society. And, you know, I think he probably generally what happens when communism takes over, they start killing people, landlords and people who have lots of land and spreading it out amongst the people. And this lady must have been um, in the same situation he was when his brother was killed by the Tsar and shot him on, on, on the steps of, of, of the parliament or the Kremlin. And it took him like three days, three years to die, and he slowly withered away. And I think it says here, 24, uh, it doesn't, Stalin didn't come to power. There was a power struggle that happened for several years. And Stalin was just like the, the most cutthroat politician out of all of them. And he was the one that sort of came out on top. Right. So actually, 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 Lenin said Stalin was the worst, the last person that should be put into power. I, I thought that Lenin installed him in some kind of position. He was like a cabinet. He was oh, like the, oh. um, yeah, okay, yeah. some some kind of guy that was controlling, um, mm. uh, like the ministers. And he started Stalin started allocating, yeah. um, yeah. Particular, yeah, particular ministers. He would have been, yeah. And then he just used a bit of his his position to employ. I think he was very shrewd, Joseph so Stalin. Stalin. Stalin was like a gangster. He used to rob banks, and uh, mm, yeah, so I heard that. That's crazy, right? Yeah, you know, save money for the for the, the party that way. Um, well, Stalin means man of steel, Stalin, uh -huh. and um, well, he obviously he killed many people with his bare hands, kind of thing. He was that kind of guy, and um, he went to jail several times. And he was always like, you know, the alpha male in any situation. I read some um, book where in, imagine in jail, killing killing the men with your bare hands. No, yeah, that, you're, you're that you're that kind of guy. You just strangle men with your bare hands. I think I forget what it's called. It's, there's a, there's a, the the Urals or something. There's, there's an area because you come from a 
from Georgia, a place called Georgia. And he grew up in a town where, you know, they just struck oil and it was like this kind of cosmopolitan place in those days meant um, the Wild West pretty much. Um, and pretty much if there was a hit put out on someone, he'd take it and go and kill them for the money or, or whatever. So, um, yeah, he was a very, very evil man. So, brutal, brutal. But he, he was the one that pretty much solidified um, the Soviet Union to what it was until the end. Um, right. Yeah, okay. won the war for the for them during the Second World War. And was Ukraine a part of the part of the Soviet Union at that point? It was, right? Mm, it was invaded in like 1922. So there's a long history. I looked into that. So the Ukrainians claim that they were actually um, a, a people. What was it? The the Kievan Rus. The Kievan Rus were a people. Um, they call themselves Ruthenians, actually, to separate themselves from the Russians um, since like 600 AD, which is like uh, Kiev, Kiev was founded. And I think um, that whole area was kind of colonized by um, like, what do you call it? The, the people from Norway, the Vikings. The Vikings made their way down the, the, the Danube or the the Dnieper and they they were trading in um Byzantium at the time and they they stopped off in um I guess Kiev or some other place there and they started their um colonies there so they they say that um Kiev was actually there first and it wasn't until later that um Russia become Moscow Mos the Moscovites kind of become um their own um sovereign kind of nation i guess sorry what was the question you said lost track oh that's okay i was asking about the, the if ukraine was part of the oh, ussr at right. that point no no so i was extrapolating the long way back so for like that whole period it was pretty much power play like it is now whatever country whatever nation had the most amount of power pretty much took what they wanted and Kiev or Ukraine never had enough power and they were always split by other countries. So Poland, Lithuania, um, I don't know, Czechoslovakia, Romania always sort of dominated them. And I think Russia, I think Catherine the, Catherine the Great, she was actually a, uh, a German princess, princess who became the Tsar of, of Russia. She's the one that kind of solidified um um, rule over the Ukraine and then after the First World War when everything fell apart the Ukrainians kind of um, cemented their own sovereignty between like 1917 and 1922 and towards the end of the Civil War in Russia Russia took the Ukraine which I guess what so they, they they annexed Ukraine at that point mm, they took the whole thing yeah Right, so, so Ukraine actually, wanted to be independent after World War One. They yeah, established yeah. their sovereignty, and then Russia basically said, "Fuck you, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're taking you back. You're taking you back." And, and then, do you know how long Russia had Ukraine then after that? So it's a bit complicated. Actually, just remind me this question again. But um, um, Catherine the Great, I forgot what it was. It was like 1750 or something. She actually annexed the Crimea. She actually invaded that whole territory in the Crimea back in those days she wanted to i'm not exactly sure of the story um she founded odessa which is a poor city on on the west 
part of um, the Black Sea, which is west of the Crimea, and she pretty much founded that whole area just to um, make a greater empire for her um, uh, Roman, uh, what do you call it? What are you talking about? Russian, Russian Empire, and she moved a whole bunch of Germans in there to to help cultivate the area and create a civilization. Um, so that's all just you know might equals right again. So there's no real sovereignty there. Um, your question again, sorry. <laughs> After Ukraine gained independence and its that's proper right. you know, sovereignty, how long were they uh, free, basically left alone until they were okay. invaded again by Russia? Okay, so Stalin would have died about 1953 or 54 or something. 53, it's right here, yeah. 53, and then Khrushchev um, took power. And they say that Khrushchev's main um, power base, you know, the area he was given to govern uh, for most of his political career before he become um, president or whatever they were, leader of the party, was in the Ukraine. Uh, so in about 56 or something like that, he actually decided to give the Ukraine their own sovereignty, in quotation marks, under the Soviet Union. So I think it was called like the Ukrainian, you know, Soviet Socialist Republic. So they were almost considered a separate um, country, but under russian hegemony but that was that was a political thing by khrushchev to sort of to sort of say to them it's almost like um you know if we give you freedom you know you, you you might work better or you know actually see us as being um more understanding or more um fair fair-minded i think is how i see it so that was about 56 but in reality it wasn't until 91 i think it was december the 1st 91 I think there were in, uh, at the fall of the, the Soviet Union, there were three attempts by Ukraine to um, solidify their independence and they, they took three referendums or three attempts at actually getting it and it wasn't until like the 1st of December 91 that that actually happened. And, and then they were actually separated from Russia officially. Right, so that, that first, that just after World War One, really they, they sort of had some kind of independence but it wasn't a, uh, a complete independence no one was fighting for it yeah okay the whole the whole time and the funny thing about that was if you want to look at that period the treaty of versailles was you know cutting up land all over the place and something i want to sort of um an analog that i want to compare the, the ukrainians to are the kurds who live in the middle east you know the kurds are this ethnic group who live in this pie which has been cut into so many pieces by the Treaty of Versailles because their region is the most um, resource-rich region in the area. And all the countries there said, we want that part of land, we want that part of land. So, you know, France, England and America all got together and said, oh, we're going to create Iraq, um, you know, Afghanistan or whatever, Iran or other countries and divide this ethnic group into five or six different countries. So the Kurds need their own country, but they don't have it. Right, can I, can I ask you a, like a little slightly off topic question? Um, do you know anything about Stalin's great purge? Like when he was basically killing off all of his um, uh, competitors? Terror. Yeah, mm -hmm. like it's kind of like yeah. the reign of terror, right? In the, in the French revolution. Yeah. What, what mm -hmm. I was just wondering, like if you could tell me some interesting cool facts about the great purge. Uh, pretty much, I think it was some number between like sixty and eighty thousand generals were were killed. Um, 
executed during that period. It would have just been, yeah, 37, I, I think I just saw it then. Um, between that period of 36, okay, 36 and 38, you got in front of me, makes it easier. Um, so he was very paranoid. Um, and so I don't know what made him do it, but he pretty much um, yeah, killed the 80,000 generals. One, one interesting example that I heard was there was some kind of um, speech that Stalin gave in, in the, the parliament, the Kremlin or some, some theater. And at the end of the, um, at the end of the speech, everyone had to stand up and start clapping and everyone was too scared to stop clapping because whoever stopped clapping first, you know, might be killed. Whoever initiated the end of the clapping might end up being killed. And the clapping went on for like you know, 10, 20 minutes or something like that. And, um, I think Tim, Tim Schneider, I read his book. He's great. Read Tim Schneider. He's all over this stuff. And, uh, He's very, he, he's got a lot of um, references for his sources. And he, I think he said eventually that the first three people to stop clapping actually ended up in a concentration camp. And one may have even been killed for stop clapping first. You know? So Stalin, Stalin was just all about, um, oh, what's the name of it? Uh, just purging, yeah, just purging everyone. You know, pretty much, I think it's just imagining he had like a, a uh, you know, an arrow on a on a on a spinning a spinning arrow with all these different ethnic groups on top of it, and you spin the arrow and you choose this ethnic group today, and he just puts out the order, wipe out all these people today. You know, send, put them on trains, send them to Siberia, make them work, make them, you know, work themselves to death. Yeah, it says here that the Great Purge from thirty six to thirty eight, roughly seven hundred thousand people. It's incredible, like. We haven't really talked about the humanities of this, but like it's incredible that one man can cause the death of seven hundred thousand people in the space of mm. well, that, it's just that's what it that says period. here, right? Just in the space mm. of two years, right? Mm, just with years. that purge, mm. not not to do with anything about the famine or any other wars, any uh, any any other mm. conflicts, just um, just in the, the period of political uh, mm. political opponents. So I guess it helps helps reading this sort of yeah. So against obviously he's um, trying to wipe out anyone that's against him, anyone that might have a dissenting voice is obviously the first person you try to get rid of. But um, I don't know. There's obviously a more of a psychological level to it as well. Like they started inventing different people who were enemies of the state. So kulaks was it was a big word, and a kulak was a farmer who actually owned enough land uh, that they could rent it out like a landlord or something like that. So they were all automatically, you know, sent off to a gulag. And, you know, the story was pretty much um, if you were picked to be sent off to the gulag, you'd get a knock at the door at four in the morning. Uh, your whole family was told to pack their bags and leave, like the whole, whole, whole town, the whole city would, would be rounded up and put on trains and sent to the, sent to the, east into siberia and they reckon just the efficiency of how they were doing it you know they pretty much put the nazis to shame you know that's what schneider said anyway yeah it's like saying here that 18 million people so gulags is just a name for really concentration camps right we'll work mm, labor mm. camps but yeah. i was under the impression that gulags were strictly places of um of of hard toil and labor as punishment right yeah, yeah. Well, there's obviously varying degrees of of how people 
survived and suffered and died. Pretty much how I see it is not enough nutrients, not enough food, and too much work is usually how those those places operate. Right. What a stark difference to the current problem of obesity that we have in the modern so, West. So pretty much you starve to death. You die, you starve to death. You, they kill you, you by making you work. Yeah. And it's usually they give you some um, pointless um, projects to undertake to, um, yeah, make you do it. <laughs> make you Losing. die, I guess. And it looks like there's massive amounts of gulags. Like they're just all over the, the Soviet Union. Just mm. look, at, look at how many there were. This is incredible. I'm, su I'm surprised so many are in the West there. I thought they were all up in, in Siberia, but there doesn't seem to be so many up there. Um, I forgot what the number was, but it was like um, the, the gulags, a lot of the gulags weren't even really shut down until like 19, the, the late 1970s. A lot of them were still open. So Khrushchev actually flipped the tables. You know, Stalin was just a brutal tyrant. And then Khrushchev was actually under Stalin. And again, when Stalin died, that's a power play to get uh, power. And uh, Khrushchev is actually famous for getting up in front of the whole Politburo or whatever it's called and actually criticizing Stalin and saying that he was a war criminal and that he was sending people to gulags and um, he was corrupt. So Khrushchev actually stood up for that. Yeah, but well. Even mentioning that, the gulag still existed for another 50, 30 years after that. So the gulag system ended definitely, definitively six years later on the 25th of January, 1960, when the remains of the administration was dissolved by, how do you say that? Khrushchev? Khrushchev. Khrushchev. Yeah. Legal Khrushchev. Yeah. The legal practice sentencing comments. I've, um, heard other, I've heard elsewhere that it goes beyond the 60s. Well, look at this. It says a legal practice of sentencing, sentencing convicts to penal labor through rest restraint was not fully abolished and continues to this day although hmm. to as far more limited capacity in the Russian okay. Federation. So yeah. bas basically it's still legal to send someone to the gulag today. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. according to Wikipedia, which, you know, has its flaws. Mm -hmm. but, um, no, no, but from what I, what I heard, um, that does make sense, but it would have been like, you know, Khrushchev would have, uh, you know, um, effectively, you know, uh, propaganda campaign to say no more gulags to the Western world. And then, but still had, still had them actually in in use up until yeah forever i thought it was the late 70s but obviously they're still there you know even china has their their form of gulags you know yeah super interesting uh, the gulag yeah super interesting i've always heard people make comments about gulags but you know mm. and i've just touched on a little bit but super interesting mm. and then but i guess sorry. yeah i was gonna say how does this connect like I, I want to take us from the well, that's, de that's demonizing uh, Soviet Union. So enough of that for now, I guess. Well, hmm. yeah. So I guess the like the 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 classic thing with the USSR, people say I was sabotaged by the the Americans and they wanted USSR to split up. USSR to split up because obviously they, you know, if if there's countries that have their own sovereignty and they're working it individually, they're not going to be as obviously as as powerful if they're working collectively. Um, but I, I wanted to ask, mm. like, what do you think? Okay, Putin... I, yeah, okay, so jump, jump, I'll just jump in quickly. Um, if you if you want to think about like Nazi Germany and um, what do you call it, the USSR, they're, they're pretty much just a hangover of um, the, the Western world's um, colonial period. You know, the, the West had the colonial period from what 1492 until uh, 
1970 something, you know, like Vietnam and um, I think um, uh, Portugal, you know, they were still fighting for land. There's Algiers in, in, in Africa up until that period. So, you know, Hitler just saw the, the east of um, the east of Russia as colonial lands that the rest of the world got. And it just backfired on him and, uh, and Russia, uh, Stalin ended up gaining all that colonial land. So that's pretty much just the same thing that the, the, West, well, the West did for so many hundreds and this, of And this is what I mean, is that this is what I think would make um, the, the East so angry is that they look at the West and they look at, like you said, colonialism, look at how rich they are, they look at the, the access to minerals, wealth, um, natural resources. And, you know, the, the Americans have been doing this for, for since they've been colonized. Everyone. Yeah, the, the British, you know, the Latin Turkish exploitation. Yeah, uh, and, right. and they're, they're just like, well, why are they so superior? Why do they get to do it? And they, they get to do it and they get to, mm. uh, you know, it's kind oh, of... No, 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 no. Since you've done it, that means we can't do it anymore. You know, it feels like, yeah. and I, I could be wrong here and, and stay with me here. It feels like the, the colonization has kind of like sizzled out and it's changed in the sense of how people do business and geopolitics and you know they support each other we have nato now and but it feels like the 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 west has like like a blanket or an umbrella of you know we, we do it under the of, of liberty and justice and it's wrong and we don't want to you know we want to respect other people's liberties and sovereignties and it feels like russia and putin he's cut from the cloth that you know, he, he's still like from that point, from that uh, era, he, he hasn't changed from the um, geopolitically in the way that he's dealing with uh, wars. And it feels like a lot of these authoritarian countries are still operating in exactly the same way they're operating a hundred years ago. They haven't changed. And they're, mm -hmm. and they're just completely um, transparent in, in some ways about how they kill their opponents. Um, you know, you sent me a, a bit of information about how Putin... I just want to talk about Putin directly, but like oh, you're we'll just in the way that, that, yeah, just in the way that they operate in the sense of how they run their government, how they mm. interact with other countries. Uh, I think there's a word called den dentistus. There's a word where you can, you own a country, you have uh, sovereignty or power over that country, and then you want to take it back. Um, I can't remember the word. Yeah. I got a mental blank, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. And, and they, they was like, oh, that was once ours. So we need to take that back. It's it's mm. kind of like the, the the east, the east hasn't been able to change with the times, and the west has. Irredentist. 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 That's it. Thank you. Mm. You know, like if you're an irredentist, you believe that you should be able to take back some of the land that previously belonged to you. Mm. Um, I think that's the definition, right? My problem with that is who threw the first stone. When did you own that land? Who did you take it off? Where did it come from? How lucky did you get to, to get that land? How did you lose that land? Who are the ethnic population of that land? You know, there's too many, too many um, questions to ask. Yeah, and, and mm. the other thing that I've Isn't noticed in, in this conversation as well, like, it, and you sort of touched on it then, none of the humanity is, humanity is really being discussed. Like it's all, you know, these people that are in power, um, whether it's Putin or Stalin, they, they just execute based on what benefits their their government and their sense of power and they're not concerned about how much damage they do to the, the everyday citizen the everyday um citizen of that country like there's so much pain and suffering like it feels like who suffers whenever the, there's a war 
it's not the generals it's not the it's not the politicians it's not the people in power it's the soldiers and the citizens that die right mm -hmm. at the moment they're bombing ukraine and there was like 300 people that died in a in a church or in a in a theater and it, you know they had around it had like children and they were they were they were, they were hiding there for, mm -hmm. for refuge oh, and God, just, i saw this i saw this video the other day um but, you know, I'm skeptical of watching the news because I try to watch objective news sources. But this one, um, it's like this uh, this red Corolla, you know, from like the 90s Corolla or something in the Ukraine. And it's they, they say it's an old couple in the car. And you can say you can see they drive up. It's like bird's eye perspective from the camera. And this red car drives up. They say there's two old people in the car and a tank comes up and this car stops. And all of a sudden you see the tree in front of them just get shattered, obviously the the tank wipe it out and then the next shot is uh the, the car just explodes just 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 turns into a fucking tin can just being ripped apart and this tank just shot uh you know this um what do you call it innocent civilian for, for no reason it was like they stopped they shit they shut themselves there was no way they were soldiers because they obviously would have ruined off really quickly they just, just stopped there dumbfounded and then the car was ripped apart so there is evidence of um of war crimes taking place well absolutely and it's kind of well i guess my main argument is that the people the general people suffer the most right and it's just that's the horrific part of war is that you know putin is is take, trying to take uh ukraine take power and annex ukraine and it's like the people that are really suffering like the soldiers are getting the, the soldiers are like who what, what is a soldier like someone that's been paid to mm. hold a gun year old yeah, to hold a gun, to go into to go into a battlefield and say, go work in a in a group of people and kill these other people, and so we can take this land and shoot these guns and fire these bullets and shoot these missiles. Mm -hmm. it's, it's it's crazy, right? And then mm -hmm. they're the ones that are getting blown to pieces, and they're just they're just considered to be collateral damage. This euphemism of they die mm -hmm. and they get blown to bits, and um, you know they're just Can casualties, fire. casualties mm -hmm. like all these words that mean nothing. Um, you know, but if you're in that, if you're in the situation or if you're there with the, the realities of war, like it blows my mind that people would just get to that point where they have so much power. They're just like, yep, I, I want this. And I'm, you know, Cold War, Fidel Castro was saying, mm. okay, you're like, yeah, if you, if you, if you mess with us, it's going to be World War Three, right? It's where we are prepared to use nuclear weapons to defend our country. It blows my mind to think that the soldiers continue to fight. You know, obviously, it must be similar to the Second World War, where you know, if if you uh, retreat or run away, you're going to get shot in the back. But um, oh, there must be so many. You know, they say that the Russians are in there, and they're they're being fought to a standstill by the guerrilla forces of the Ukrainians, but they're also being abused and heckled by the civilians of the population as well. I was, I was trying to compare it to Vietnam for the Americans, but it's even worse because no one is on their side. No one's saying, thanks for coming and, you know, helping us uh, fend off communism. They're all there saying, fuck off, you know, you guys. What was it? Um, this ties in something nicely with something else I wanted to say, but um, this guy was saying that he was out on the streets with a megaphone saying, you guys are only here killing all of us because you're so angry that we have freedom. You know, where you come from, you have no freedom and you're only willing to come and kill us because, you know, you're a prisoner in your own country. You're angry that we're free. There is truth to that. 
that's I heard I read in a book somewhere that that was the argument against um, uh, dictatorships and autocracies. That's that's why people in those countries are actually able to psychologically convince themselves to go and invade other countries. It's a lot more complex than that. Obviously, there's a propaganda um, campaign which says, you know, um, ethnic minorities of, of your, you know, ethnicity are being tortured, killed and raped. So ethnic Russians are being killed and raped and we've got to go in and defend them. That's pretty much all the Russians are hearing. And um, just uh, you can imagine what it was like under Trump, you know, 50 percent for the people, if not more, were pro-Trump and believed every stupid thing that he fucking said. So um, it's not hard to think that the Russians are there thinking that they're really doing a good thing in, in Ukraine, whether it's selfish or um, um, beneficial, or what do you call it? Altruistic. Altruistic, yeah. That, mm. I think that, that I think there's a lot of truth to that. I, I also think that soldiers are soldiers and they're not paid to think. They're paid to take orders and they're not told a whole mm. bunch of information. So, you know, and there's their salaries and their paychecks and it's what they've done. It's what they've trained to do. And you, you're not trained as a soldier to make critical decisions. You're trained, they, people tell you, your, your mm. superior tells you to go over there and do this. And that's what you do because that's your job. Yeah. And that's what you've and signed you up for. If you don't do that, if you don't do that, all your mates could die. Yeah, there's, exactly. There's a sense of camaraderie, dependence, uh, responsibility. Yeah, and the, the the military is very powerful, man. It's like um, it's a sense of um, really strong sense of belonging, uh, and it, it's it wouldn't be hard to what what like you said, what option do they have? Oh well, mm. I don't want to fight. I'm going to go home with my parents, mm. uh, with my with my family. It's they no, they don't they, 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 they don't have they go to jail. They haven't got that option. So at least at least they go to jail. Uh, sorry, at, at worst they get shot by their own people. Uh, at best, they go to jail, and God knows what happens in between. So, so yeah. talking about Russia and talking about these soldiers, what what would you define, like from what you've read recently and, and heard, what simplistically, what is Russia, what is Putin, Vladimir, Vladimir Putin, actually want from Ukraine right now? What's his objective? Hmm. Take Ukraine because just <sighs> go in there, bomb the shit out of Ukraine, take it because mm. what? Okay, so just a little disclaimer on me as an individual. Um, I'm an arm, armchair historian, so I just dabble. I just like to learn. Who cares, man? You're like Joe. You're like I Joe Reagan. You have all the truths. Yeah. Everyone's going to believe you. You know, I you're really, you. I don't really learn every. I don't really learn very well, but I have enough information in my head that I can easily jump into any topic and, and learn pretty quickly about it. So I pretty much crammed for the past two weeks. And it's a bit of a mess, but um, uh, yeah, if you want to talk about this, it's a pretty complex topic, but if we want to work backwards, pretty much it's the threat of NATO moving in there. Um, right, okay. So pretty much, oh God, this is, this is history in reverse, the way we're doing it, and it's almost necessary. Pretty, pretty much there's been several revolutions. Don't, don't you remember? You probably weren't watching the news back in the early 2000s. This is when I was becoming an adult and was watching the news. I remember seeing strife in, in the Ukraine throughout the early 2000s and um, Viktor Yushchenko being poisoned by you know the KGB or whatever the hell it was. Remember that guy, his pockmarked face and things like that. He was becoming the, the president of the Ukraine and he was anti-Russian. And he had this visit with um, some pro-Russian um, diplomat, and uh, 
the next day he was violently ill and his organs, all his organs shut down and you can see him now, his, his face is all pockmarked like he's got smallpox kind of thing. So not to mention the hundreds of other um, people that <laughs> have been killed under this regime. But um, to, to, to jump ahead, um, oh, Victor, Victor Yushchenko, is it Yushchenko? Yanukovych, Vladimir Yanukovych, I think his name is. Um, he was the last president of the Ukraine who was actually pro-Russian. And before him, there was like Yushchenko were all pro-West and they were trying to make deals and trying to join NATO and all this kind of stuff. And when this Yanukovych guy, I think his name is Yanukovych, can you look that up for me? Um, Yanukovych guy um, came into power, he pretty much wiped out any deals with with the West and totally sided with um, the ODSs. Oh no, no, Yushchenko, yeah, is that it? Yeah, Yanukovych, I always get those two names mixed up. So Viktor Yanukovych in 1914, uh, sorry, 2014, pretty much said, fuck the West, uh, we're gonna side with Russia. And the problem, problem with um, the Ukraine is, yeah, it, it is a, a hot pot. It's a mishmash of different ethnic groups and all the like. So there's like this strip on the east side which borders with uh, Russia, which happens in every nation where there are kind of ethnic Russians who speak Russian who may or may not want to be part of the, the mother country. Um, obviously, there's different ethnic groups in between, but pretty much from the middle and all the way to the west, they are all ethnic Ukrainians. And um, so since 2001, they've been trying their hardest to create a democratic, um, uncorrupt, since so that's another story we, we should get into, the, the, the fall of the Soviet Union and how all big um, industries fell into the hands of a small minority of corrupt politicians and created the oligarchs and the, the cronies. And, um, you know, the, the, the people of the Ukraine have really wanted to um, emulate the West somehow. So when this Yanukovych guy, Yanukovych, whatever his name is, um, decided to side with um, Putin or, or Russia, um, this is the second time it happened. It happened in 2004 under a similar circumstances with not too bad an outcome. Um, oh, there's, there's, a, there's a big square in Kiev. I forget what it's called. Um, but I'll, I'll look it up if I can. Now you've taken control of my computer. There's a big square in, um, in the Ukraine and they all, they all gathered there and um, they pretty much rebelled against Yanukovych. Yanukovych, is that his name? What's his name? Viktor Yanukovych. Viktor Yushchenko. I always... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, I'm, I'm muted. Yeah, Viktor Yanukovych. Yeah, Viktor Yanukovych. Yeah, and you're saying yeah, that, that, what you're saying Matt marries up to this that he was ousted because okay. he was aligned with the Russians, um, and yeah. they they felt the Ukrainians probably felt betrayed that he was undermining their attempt at sovereignty, their their attempt at sovereignty and and independence. Uh, no, their their attempt at um, yeah, pretty, pretty much that's the outcome, but their attempt at siding with the West. Um, right. So he wanted to side with the West and they got together in the main square in Kiev, which I really wish, Euromaiden, there it is, the Euromaiden. And um, 
just like Tiananmen Square, I guess, is what, what happened. And the first time, it's called the Orange Revolution. I remember seeing it on TV back in 2004. They did that, and the, the prime president at the time was ballless. He couldn't do anything about it, and they kind of got away with it. This time, he stood his ground, and he started, you know, he, he told the, the, um, the, the police and the soldiers to open fire on the protesters, and, you know, hundreds of people were killed or probably hyperbole there, but at least 100 people were killed and um, it got out of control. Eventually, the people, the, the, the politicians in, in parliament, um, you know, walked away from him. They said they, they went on his side. Um, but the police started walking off their, um, uh, what do you call it, their beat or whatever. They stopped doing their job. They and went their post, home. Yeah. Their yeah. post, they, they decided they weren't going to take part in this. Uh, he ran to the north of the Donetsk Basin, which is northeast, sorry, thinking that's his power hold and everyone would sort of accept him. They didn't, so he escaped to Russia. And then after that, oh, I don't know really what happened, but pretty much after that, um, they elected that Zelensky guy who seems to be doing well. But from what I heard, the interesting part about this whole 2014 orange um, uprising actually took place at the same time as um, Putin had his Sochi um, Winter Olympics, which as far as I know was like worth, you know, $60 billion or something, which is you know, unbelievable sum of money. And you know, as far as I can tell, it was like, you know, the jewel in the crown of his um, uh, tenure of power. It was meant to like t put the tip on his success as president of Russia. And as that was happening, this civil unrest happened in the Ukraine, which is right next to Russia. And Putin got, um, what do you call it, paranoid and assumed that it was the, the Americans doing like a black ops operation or inspiring or instigating the people into doing it. I, I, I heard a few people say that Putin's the kind of person that thinks that people don't go out and protest on their own. They only do it if they get paid to do it. It's the kind of thing that you know the KGB do, or um, that's the kind of thing that they do. So they they believe that um, the Americans set it up. There was actually the the ambassador for the American ambassador for the Ukraine was actually out there handing out sandwiches to everyone on the street and saying, "Oh yeah, good on you. Go and protest and get rid of this uh, Yanukovych guy." And um, so Putin took this as a direct. Um, attack against him and this is kind of where it all it all really started so who did putin assassinate uh, yeah. <laughs> who, didn't he, who didn't he assassinate you, you said that he assassinated someone in particular was poisoned okay okay so this one this one sort of explains this, this is a conspiracy theory and this is what really annoys me because you know i hear so many conspiracy theories annoys me about myself. Like, he's telling me conspiracy theories about the West and, you know, September 11th and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, that's obviously a lot of bullshit and hogwash. But then I hear these conspiracy theories about Russia and I instantly believe them. You know, it's so easy to believe that um, Putin's corrupt and he would do these crazy evil things to, to get to maintain power. So there was this block of um, block of units in Moscow when he first become um, president. So the, the reason why he become president was 
um, it turned out that he was able to keep his mouth shut and keep the secrets of his um, his you know overlords or his bosses under wraps. He wouldn't ever you know roll over. He wasn't a rollover guy. He'd always just keep the secrets of the people um, above him. So Boris Yeltsin, they reckon, become corrupt after the Soviet Union fell, and um, you know divided up all the state um, uh, industries among his friends and politicians. And then um, Putin had proved himself before that. So Yeltsin brought Putin into as prime minister, knowing that Putin wouldn't roll over on him. And then when Putin became the president, um, this almost goes back to a, a, a Nazi analogy as well. It's called the, the Reichstag fire. Pretty much when the Nazis got into power, the, the parliament building burnt down. And then that gave uh, Hitler the ability to... Um, you know, declare martial law and say every other party in the in, in the land is outlawed and we're going to arrest all the Russians. So the, what they reckon Putin did was um, blow up several massive unit complexes in, in Moscow and blamed it on, I think it was the Chechens. Um, I have to look that one up too. I don't want to give out any false information. Uh, the Chechens. Um, I think the, the Russians were already at war with these people in like 98 or 97 and it didn't go too well. CH, yeah. Um, T would be a Y. Um, so he blamed these guys on this bombing and then... Um, Is that them? Type, type in Russian war. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so... Putin blew up these unit blocks. 86, no, that doesn't look right, does it? Um, Putin blew up these complex blocks, unit blocks, blocks and um, blamed it on another country and then said, we're going to get re retaliate, get revenge, invade these countries, just like, um, you know, America did with Afghanistan and Iraq and um, what do you call it? Um, Syria. No, not 9-11, September 11th. So yeah, here we go. The, church, the first Chechen war broke out in 94 and after two years of fighting, the Russian troops withdrew. Um, in 1999, the fighting restarted, resulting in yet another major armed conflict, culminating in large ca casualties, destruction of the capital, uh, blah, 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 Grozny officially ending the war with the insurgencies and hostilities continuing for seven years. So they reckon this this war in, in Chechnya was initiated by Putin, who set up, um, what do you call it, a black ops operation where he blew up, you know, hundreds of people in, in Moscow. And to, to answer the reason why I've been rambling about this is there was a guy called Vitka uh, Litvinenko, Litvinenko, and you've seen him all over the news. He's the guy that moved to Russia and was uh, England and was poisoned by polonium-210. His, his hair fell out and uh, he died a few days later. He supposedly had information that would actually prove that Putin was involved in those, in those explosions back in 99 or whatever it was. And so the, the story is Putin had him killed, uh, knocked off. And the interesting thing about that, the two people, like I've seen the, the video footage of the two people that, you know, killed him, you know, laced his tea with it. Um, you know, they, they've actually chased, they've actually, um, they've pinpointed where all these 
these people actually went and everywhere they went is highly irradiated everywhere they went the the, the airport the seats they sat in the hotel rooms the the cafe it's all highly radioactive because they were carrying this highly radioactive uh, substance but when they went back to um russia england said can you guys extradite these guys for you know for murder and putin said no and now it turns out one of the guys has been given like the highest you know civilian award for bravery and honor in russia and the other guy's a bloody politician so, so when you're saying that there was lots of radiation do you mean there was corruption so like with the radiation in the in the environment in the in the earth it just not just emanates from the from the substance polonium 210 right so you're saying because they were carrying some kind of radioactive material mm. with them and that so was it's left mm. a trail of, of radio so what happens when something that is radioactive touches something else it becomes radioactive right so you're saying they left a trail of radioactive matter as they were moving around with the perhaps yeah. poison and this polonium 210 they've kind of they, they show that it can only be made in you know highly guarded secret um government military installations and not not everyone can get it and they're saying it can only be found in this one place which is you know in russia and obviously there's probably a bit of you know propaganda in what i'm and what i'm watching but it all seems to be justified because there's plenty of people if you just type in a list of people that have died who are critics of, of, of putin um there's hundreds of them if not just you know tens tens of them anyway that, that recently that Alexei Navalny, he's, he's the, the biggest opponent to Putin and he's in, he's been in prison for, for how long he was poisoned and sent to Austria and they saved his life. And then he went back to Russia to continue the fight and they arrested him straight away for some bullshit excuse. And then just last week through the Ukraine crisis, he's been, um, uh, sentenced to another nine years imprisonment for tax evasion or something like that there's a lot, a lot of corruption involved yeah it's it sounds wild it sounds like um something out of a almost a horror movie or you know it sounds like some mm. stuff that would happen 100 years ago but mm. i don't i don't know like who would you like who is putin like you know and they say that he worked for the kgb for like 16 years you know he, he became he was a so what is he like he was a spy he was a like a secret service spy like a, a an assassin um no, no they what, say he was like a, a low-level bureaucrat in the kgb they say he went just after school he went to sign up with the kgb which kind of shows what kind of person he was because obviously the kgb uh, uh had that reputation they told him to come back later he went and got a law degree and then he came back and then they accepted him and that was towards the end of the cold war and he ended up in Dresden, which is a city in the east of um, Germany. Uh, Germany. Yeah, when the when the when the Cold War ended, uh, the war collapsed, and he kind of ended up kind of lost. And he, you know, they say you know he had a very short amount of time to figure out what he was going to do. So I think he he ran back to St. Petersburg, I guess, where he must have come from, and he started making his way into politics and i think he became like the vice mayor of st petersburg and that's where the, the, the corruption began his his leader his boss the mayor was really corrupt and there's this whole thing about when when the mayor or whatever got really sick and went and was on his on his way out or was very vulnerable 
Uh, everyone was worried that, you know, his wife was worried that, you know, oh no, this is the time that he's going to get, you know, overthrown and put in jail. But Putin had his back and pretty much kept all his secrets. And yeah, pretty much when Putin became president or prime minister, he pretty much decreed that um, Boris Yeltsin cannot be tried for any any crimes or anything that he may have committed in his in his time in power. So he pretty much had the back of everyone before him. Right. So that's pretty much his rise to power. So he became prime minister in like 1999 to 2000. Um, and then again from 2008 to 2012. Under Yeltsin. So that was, yeah, I think the 2008 to 2012 was a political ploy. He put that Medvedev, Medvedev guy in. I think just so he can, um, you know, lengthen his time in office. Mm. Okay. So Medvedev was always kind of his puppet, as far as I know, Dmitry. So is, is his, his actual role at the moment, he's, he's considered to be a president? Is that what he is? Yeah, from what I've heard is he's, someone said that he can be into power until 2024. So um, I don't know how that's going to work. I think, again, you know, I think like um, how, how I saw George Bush, you know, I think the reason why he started that war was because he was so useless at the start of um, his, his presidency. I just thought, hey, he's, he's starting this war because if he doesn't, he's not going to be elected for the next term. He starts a war. He obviously has to stay in for the next term because he started it. He's got to get him out of it. So I kind of see him at the moment just, you know, just causing havoc because they're going to have to keep him into power just so he can res resolve whatever issue has been created, which obviously isn't his fault in his eyes or everyone else's eyes, you know? Yeah. Okay. Super there is a precedent. Uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt had three um, terms as president in America during the second world war because oh. the war, the war was going. So even a democratic country would do that. Yeah. Cause they, obviously they only have two terms. But like mm. he's been in power now basically for what 20 years yeah, more 23 22 i think i think from what i've heard he can have the maximum maximum of 24 but yeah that does sound a bit dodgy right but is he really is he really like a president and then there's like a senate and mm. there's people no. or is, is he just no. he's just a, a how would you explain putin's position of power so I've, yeah, I don't know, we had that podcast with John and um, I said pretty much, I haven't watched the news for so long. And um, as soon as this happened, I've been watching the news almost every day. And um, I had a reason, to, I was going to digress there for a second. But um, they say the day of the invasion, if you watch him now, pretty much any cabinet meeting he has, he's sitting at the end of this 10 meter long table, 20 meter long table or whatever. He's at one end of it and they're all at the other end of it. And he lets everyone have their voice. But if they say something that he doesn't agree with, he tears them apart. He just totally puts him in their place and says, you know, you're trying to undermine the Russian state. And, you know, he actually, he got onto um, the, the TV the other day. It's well documented. And he said, um, oh, I don't know the exact words, but something about any, any, anyone that is anti-Russian, scum and you know um crap um pretty much be eaten up by the russian people and the russian state and be spat out chewed up and spat out by the russian people 
he's pretty much a threat against anyone that's against his um, uh, his leadership. So, so pretty much, it's all, it's all about um, that ballot stuffing. Yeah. Okay. It's um, it's interesting here. It's talking about he's Putin was sent to Moscow for further training when he was working for the KGB. Uh, he was uh, using a cover identity as a translator, but he was he was really uh, like an intelligence officer, basically a you know a spy where he monitored foreigners. Mm. He was trained as a spy, so that, they reckon that's kind of like his mo, his method of operating is just in deception. So he's like a pure Machiavellian. Yeah, that's so crazy. And this guy, so I forgot. Hang on, go on. Yeah, I was just going to say he's gone from a spy to being, you know, the president of Russia and one of the most powerful men on the planet. He's pretty much gone from, uh, I'll help him say that. He's pretty much gone from, he has a lot of power now because of what he's threatening. Hang on. So I'm only saying that because um, Russia isn't the most powerful. He isn't a very powerful country anymore, considering he's lost the Soviet Union. But the, the fact that he's got all those nuclear weapons, the position that he's put the rest of the world in, he has, a, you know, it's almost like um, a game of cards and he's bluffing, he's bluffing his contenders kind of thing. But that, doesn't um, Russia have like the, the second biggest military in the world? No, that's what they do, China. If not the biggest, China the biggest. I thought the, state, like the, I thought the states mm, has. Let's look it up. Let's look. Yeah, it up. I'd say China for sure. There may be America. I think the states. Um, yeah. Okay, he's number one. Yeah. So what was that last question you said? He pretty much came from nowhere and, and from the, yeah, he, yeah. He was. He became from like from a, what I heard. A, yeah. a spy to the president and mm. a spy to a politician to politician to president. Mm. Mm. KGB, so yeah, so he was tra trained in uh, infiltration, manipulation, lying, deception. Well, it's an interesting ideology then, because then, you know, his his whole um, makeup as an individual, as a politician, mm. has come from a military type, you know, background. Like you said, Machiavellian. He, his whole ideology has been formed from those experiences as a spy. Mm -hmm. And and he would have been um, just like me as a kid, you know, all I wanted to do was join the army, but luckily I come across art before I left school. But, you know, th throughout school, he would have been like, I want to be a KGB officer. And his mindset, you know, he just convinced himself for four years, you know, he's never, never varied, never vacillated from that. Um, what he knows, he knows what he knows. He's so convinced of himself. China, India. Yeah, United States. You got those numbers there. Oh, but that's like who has the biggest uh, amount of personnel, right? That's what so, they're talking about. That's the same thing, isn't it? Pretty much. No, like weapons that's to that's, go with them. that's how many uh, like how many actual people are um, in the you know in, enrolled in the military. If you're talking about nuclear weapons, of course, that's a hangover from the, the Cold War. No, I'm talking about who has like the most military might, like has the most like weapons uh, and, and like okay. you know like, yeah, okay. weapons technology. America, yeah. America yeah. and then China. Six hundred one yeah. billion dollars. Yeah. The, um, the United States has a budget of six hundred one billion dollars, and they've got one point four. Is that million people million. that are act, yeah active on the front line? 
8,848 tanks, 13,892 total aircraft, 72 submarines. That's insane. And that's not NATO, that's just America. So if if they want to, you know, ally with NATO, they've got all them as well. So hang on, is that two, really? Yeah, that's what they say. I don't know how accurate this is. Business. I did remember seeing when the numbers on whatever CNN they were saying those numbers. So but this is budget. Tanks. This is budget, so it could be like the budget is. A, the budget is yeah, how much they, it's military spending is not necessarily military yes. might, right? What was the American budget? That's eighty-four Six, billion. Six hundred one billion. It's a fraction. Yeah. Yes. And yes. the personnel is a, is, a, is a fraction as well. So. They've yeah. got almost as, as much hardware, but less money and less people. But China has. Now, look at this. They've got a budget of $216 billion, but they've got like twice as many active frontline personnel, personnel, which is hardware. Yeah, 2.3 million people. They've got more tanks, uh, mm. less, less aircraft. Mm. Yeah, okay. Submarines. Japan's up here, 41 billion. Mm. It's crazy. India, I bet you look at that active frontline personnel. I don't know how I don't know how real these stats are. France, so these are rich countries. Mm. Well, these are countries that putting in some ballpark. Yeah, some serious. You know, still a lot of those countries. You got you got Japan and North Korea, and they're you know concerned with um, aggressive neighbor states. So Japan's Mm. worried about China. North South Korea is worried about North Korea. You know. I guess um, the Ukraine's been defending, uh, building themselves up since 2014 um, against Russia. So um, I guess we should go back to well, that topic. Well, all I'm saying is that with Russia, they, they, they spend a lot of money on their military and they do have a pretty sizable military force, I imagine. So uh, they are, they're not exactly a toothless tiger. Um, mm. You know, so they, there is a real threat there. Because I feel like, it's it's getting to the point now with this Ukraine Russia bullshit that the rest of the world's probably saying, you know, this is getting ridiculous. Um, maybe we should step in and do something. But ultimately, it's I think people they're just too scared because I think people are really you know actually really worried that Russia or Putin is crazy enough to go. All right, well let's it will it, it seriously ignite World War Three with mm. with the threat of oh, nuclear. Yeah nuclear Weapons. conflict yeah that's that's been the paradigm paradigm since world war ii we were, we've always oh, since sorry 48 when russia got the bomb right and then that's that's exactly right that's the whole basis of the, the cold war right is that you have countries that uh in are in political tension uh and really the the draw card you know the main ace card is um is okay if you if you do this, we'll do this. And if you do this, we'll, we'll escalate with that. And then once you're talking about atomic weapons, you can't really go back from that. You know, like the damage of, of these, you know, like they've got the atomic bomb. They've also got hydrogen bombs, right? Don't they have hydrogen bombs, which mm-hmm. are like, yeah, they can basically- Same thing, but just massive, yeah. Yeah, they can blow up basically mm-hmm. the, the whole world. You know, where- um, Thermonuclear weapons. I think the, 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 the Russians dropped the Tsar bomb, Tsar bomber in alaska or something and it was like 50 gigaton or something ridiculous it was like unbelievable how big it was <laughs> so you know so maybe that cold war connections worth you know worth exploring 
I feel like a lot of the stuff that you mentioned about World War One and World War Two, especially, connects to the the Cold War. It's this tension, and it, it just seems like to me is that the East is just pissed off with how that um, turned out, how that panned out, how power boundaries were um, were allocated, and there's this ongoing resentment between you know the 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 East and the West in the sense of there's political ideology, but there's also uh, access to the resources, wealth, minerals, um, trading ports like Ukraine. You said that Ukraine has quite a bit of fertile land. It was used in the production of, of agriculture. Um, it's, it's a pretty centralized type of port, isn't it? Especially Crimea mm-hmm. around there is, is you're able to use the country as um, access into the, is it the Mediterranean? Yeah, into the Black, Black sea. sea. Thank you. I was, I was thinking last night. I was thinking last night. It's, it's, if you look at uh, the, the map of Eastern Europe, it's like a mirror image of, of, of Western Europe, where the, the Mediterranean can be the analog of um, the Black Sea. You know, the the Black Sea is pretty much an ocean in the middle of all these countries. So you've got um, Ukraine, Russia. God knows all those other weird states, Georgia, Turkmenistan or whatever on the east. I don't know those ones. Uh, uh, Bulgaria, Romania, Turkey, all those countries surrounding it. So it's meant to be a really beautiful area. But um, actually another point about the Crimea is um, I think it was 1854 or 55. Um, there was a massive war between the British and the French against the, the Russians. And I think the the, the, the the British and the French kicked the Russians' ass or something. No, that doesn't make sense. I think because because the, the the Russians are really proud of that Crimean War. Yeah, I'm interested to see. I'm pretty, I dare say that the, that the French, the American, English won that, but the the German, the, the Russians seem so proud of it. Well, it's not what happened. It's it's how people think it mm. happened. You know, that's the whole basis mm. of um, George Orwell's Animal Farm, right? Um, it's not what happened. It's it's how it's it's per, per, perpetuated or or demonstrated that it's happened. Um, yeah. So uh, the British one. Yeah. That. So pretty much. Um, in those days, Russia was fighting against Turkey for um like probably probably territorial domination at, at the time. Um, yeah, and uh, the, the French and the British didn't want Russia to get too strong, so they decided this decided to side with their ultimate, you know, enemy, you know, <laughs> the Ottomans. Well, yeah, politics is politics and, and a mm. mutual enemy, you know, my, my, what is that old saying? My um, enemy. Yeah. Well, I, enemy, I enemy. Is my friend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And what, what do you think about you? Like, is there any way to justify this, this war? Is there any way to, to is there any yeah, way to justify the Ukrainian it? Side. <laughs> Is it, is it, I think Russia's Putin's basically saying that the, the justification is that there's some Russian separatists that are kind mm. of, like you said, being tortured or, or being, oh, um, that, that's always that they always do that. I think, I think it's a, oh, recently they've been using the word false flag. So pretty much they just make up this story. Hitler did it in the second world war, you know, um, there, there are, there are Germans in Poland that are being, you know, raped, killed, massacred. We've got to go in and defend them. So everyone's always done that. That's always a pretext for war. But isn't this just crazy shit like that? That, um, knows that. But, but isn't this just crazy shit that Putin 
was just has the balls or audacity to just go, okay, we want to uh, next train and we're going to mm. bomb the crap out of it. I think a hundred thousand people have died. Do you know the stats on how many nah, people have died in, nah. in Ukraine? Nah, is I it, think it's, I think I've heard about 10,000 10, soldiers, 10,000 Russian soldiers. And if you want to, you know, just a guesstimate, I probably have to say 30,000 civilians. I'd have to guess or Ukrainians. I swear I heard a hundred thousand. It'd be huge, but it couldn't be that big. It, it would be huge. But um, as you go on with that, we digressed. Um, we, we, we went on from 2014 and when they first, um, the Russians first invaded the Crimea. Should I go on with that? Yeah, sure, go. So um, from, from what I heard or read, um, you know, Putin, you know, was putting on the Sochi Olympics, which, you know, was a big thing for him. And um, that's when the Orange Revolution happened and that Viktor Yushchenko, Yanukovych, sorry, I'm bad with his names. Yanukovych was overthrown, left the country, and um, you know, Putin. Putin thought it was um, the Americans, um, you know, doing black ops operations, paying these protesters to make him look bad. But from what I've heard, is the biggest problem for Putin was, okay, first of all, the Ukraine has this kind of history to Russia, but it's also the fact that if an autocratic um, leader can be overthrown in a country next to Russia, that can just be, uh, you know, an example of what can happen in Russia. So he has to sort of stop that from happening. He has to sort of hide that from his people and say, you know, this stuff just doesn't happen in the East because he doesn't want his people to get the idea. He doesn't want to have a, uh, I can't think of the word for it, you know, an, ex an example for the people to follow. So, what he did was precedent. this is this is Pre precedent. precedent yeah yeah i knew it was a pre-word so this is what really gets me is you know i always kind of respected um what's his name the, the african and the black um president obama. obama um but he seems like he was pretty useless um you know there's this thing in war i think i think if you go to war with a country you have to declare war on that country i'm pretty sure it's a war crime not to um you can't just march in a country but also what he did was he sent in these unmarked troops with masks on, um, almost, I think, wearing like English English goggles and things. I saw the photos of it and the Ukrainians called them little green men and they marched into these territories down the east or east coast, the eastern border of the Ukraine into the Crimea and um, annexed it and the sort of, sort of annexed it, sort of saying like they were, fighting with the separatists so the separatists are, are people who are trying to break away from the ukraine and i was just thinking the other day you know at the moment our hands are tied because there's a full-on war in there and we're scared about a nuclear war but what if 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 obama it's great to say in hindsight but if obama had the brains and the balls and the, the power to like as soon as little green men invade a country it would have been the perfect time just to go in there and fucking kill all those little green men and kick him out of the country and say, oh, we didn't realize they were Russians. Obviously, they knew they were Russians. That's why they did nothing about it. But if Putin was so blatant, I forget what they call it. It's called hybrid warfare. He's, he's doing warfare on such a clandestine level that, that he can deny that he's even doing it. So he's doing all these hacking, these things on you know, on the internet he's getting into um highly secure 
military installations through the internet. He's hacking these places. Um, as I said, he sent unmarked troops into these territories. And I saw this documentary where um, the guy, I think it was Anthony Blinken, was in the White House with Putin, uh, with uh, Obama. And Obama's there saying to Putin, uh, look, look, Vladimir, we know that you've sent troops into the Crimea or Russia, get them out or there's going to be trouble. And then Putin's just going, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't send troops into the Crimea. I didn't do that. Well, what are you talking about? And then just as quick as you can, he just changed the topic of the conversation. So uh, you, you can't talk to people like that, you know? Yeah. You he's, also, playing, he's playing the game. You also said that you can't kind of negotiate and you can't really, um, you, you can't really, um, reason with people like that if they're if mm. they're not giving you a like they're not they're not they're not engaging in it in a sort of half mm. logical mm. conversation. There's no, looking, honesty, not, there's no honesty or transparency. They're not looking for um equality or um I can't think of the word again. Either way, they're not looking looking for a, a good outcome for both sides. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm talking synergy is what I'm looking at, you know, okay. two positives make it a better positive. But um, I saw a general sort of say, you know, Putin's not interested in um, abiding by the the international conventions of law or war or whatever it is. He's just interested in might is right and, and gaining whatever power he can. He's not, in, he's not interested in helping anyone else out. It's just getting whatever the fuck he can however well, that's, the hell that, he can get it that's exactly what i mean about you know putin being cut from a different cloth being he's he's archaic he's he's a guy that's um doesn't know how to play modern politics he's mm. you know they just he's still playing that game of modern anachronism yeah he's he definitely if definitely feels like the the rest of the world like the the, the west has created this banner of justice and freedom mm. and this, these ideals, Altruism. right? Yeah. That's this ideology that's based in all these positive things. And it's, it's so easy to demonize the East because they're just like, well, we, we think that, you know, because of the way that they behave and of that ideology, which you just mentioned. Mm. And we can say, cause we don't do that anymore. How dare they do it? And that's why he's, that's why Putin is kind of like so disgusted, I think, in that res, this resentment for the West because they're like, that's all just bullshit because you guys do whatever you want anyway. You already have mm. everything. Um, yeah. And then when we want to take something, we, we want to do it. It's a huge, it's a huge issue that, you know, the, mm. the United States is just a bunch of hypocrites. Yeah, totally agree with that one. So that's, that's the funny thing about there's There's two interesting concepts with that one. It's like, um, <sighs> Like the West and America, you know. China feels I, the same way as well, I think. Yeah, I, I, I feel the same way. You know, I was totally against the Afghani war. I'm against any war. So as soon as that happened, I'm like, fuck America, you know, the scumbags and fuck Australia for even joining them, you know. I think all the leaders who were in power, who were part of that farce, should be executed for the war crimes that they put upon the world. But um, there's, there's two levels there. They, they, they kind of they have a better argument when they do it. You know, they're democratically elected for one. They have, they usually try and, they, they have the farce of this, you know, court, uh, I don't know what you call it, is kangaroo court the right word for it? You know, they, they make this like bullshit show trial kind of thing, the show trial to make it look like they're going through all the, all the legal statutes and making it all, um conventionally legitimate. yeah legitimate and ethical and ethical it's always and like ethical. yeah it's mm. always the ethical kind of um 
the, the ethical motivation. Mm. And the other thing is that this is a big problem, that the people who are the puppets that we're looking at, like uh, Obama or Trump or Bush, they're just puppets at the front. So, you know, we don't really know who's controlling the strings from behind. So, you know, we can easily say, oh, we're, we're, we're a democracy and, you know, we're always electing new people in. So this, no one has power for, for too long, but there's always, so the words I've been learning recently, I know the word oligarch, but they call it oligarchs in Russia because they're the ones that have all the power. Oligarch means rule by the few. By the few. Mm. Uh, in the Western world, we call them cronies and cronyism or something like that. And it's obviously the people who have power. And um, the, I think it was the Koch brothers. It, it, anyone that, you know, owns the major industries, anyone that owns, you know, the major military companies, they'd be pulling the strings at the same time. So I read a YouTube clip, uh, sorry, a comment section yesterday. And this guy said, I'm from Iraq or something like that. And he said, just like you said, you know, the, the everyday people, you know, they're innocent. They don't want any part of this. It's always the people in power that create these wars and kill everyone. And at the end of the day, they get together and, you know, they shake each other's hands and acted like nothing happened. And I'm like, I, my mind attacked it straight away and said, no, but we're democratic. And then instantly I stopped and went, hang on. No, there are, you know, power players and there are people behind, behind the scenes who are, the you know the modern Benefit, day abusing yeah, abusing exploiting um these who are kids. always there absolutely you know i saw something on um on instagram today this dude was like oh if you want to invest in the ukraine war and he, he mm-hmm. mentioned like the three biggest um military companies that are from the states he said oh, buying yeah. into any of these companies will basically your stocks if you had bought into them you'd, you'd would have made mm-hmm. a, a lot of money right war does make money for the for the for the few right and if you're mm. smart enough, if you're smart enough to hold the monopoly board and, and think a few steps ahead and go, okay, if we do this, we can gain A, B, and C. And you know, oil companies, gas companies, uh, military companies, mm. um, pharmaceutical companies, they need medicine. Um, yeah. You know, all of if you had a, if you have a company that sells bandages, mm. oh, so many, man. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's, a, it's, a, it's a short-term benefit, but doesn't really last very long. But it's, it's a short-term massive benefit for these oligarchies, mm. right? For mm. these oligarchies that are in power. So, yeah, that, I think that's what Putin sees and they despise it because they're like, well, mm. the, the, you know, the US is doing the same thing that we're doing, but we just do it, you know, we're more transparent. We, we do mm. it because we, we want what we want, right? Mm. And then, you know, this level of clandestine uh, manipulation and exploitation of, of power, you know, no one's going to admit that that ever happens in the, in the U S or Australia. And there are the difference is too. You could argue that there is some, you know, if that shit comes to light and there is some level of, there is some level of accountability. You can go to jail. Mm. If, if there mm. is evidence of collusion, if there's evidence of um, corruption, right. But in Russia or in China, that, that I imagine would never happen. Only if you're against the, 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 the state right <laughs> exactly so and you again, know if usually if you're like you think about war, war, uh vietnam war um war crimes i think one man served one day in jail for all the war crimes that were ever committed in vietnam so you know no one ever pays for it that's know. what i mean and I, I really wanted um my friend john 
uh, other friend, John, who's a teacher, you know, he's, I really mm. wanted him to come on because he's got such a really in-depth knowledge of, of um, Russian politics. And he's actually mm. living in Kazakhstan at the moment and he's traveling. He travels all around um, the Eastern, Eastern Europe. Uh, he was at Fedor Dovesky's um, house that he was uh, in. in Dostoevsky. Yeah, that's it. And, mm. you know, his, his house that he was in, in, in asylum. Mm. Um, you know, he's just got a really good, but he, he was arguing that, and that's, that's something that he argues is that, you know, ultimately we, we, we are still corrupt, but we try not to be. No, um, I think, okay, sorry about no, I hate sort of negative mm. interjections. No, to be fair, like he didn't say that I'm just summarizing what, mm. what he said, but yeah, like his his argument is argument is that within a Western democratic capitalized, uh, capitalistic society that if mm. there is proven corruption that there is there the idea is that the, you should be held accountable that's the ideology that's what that's, he's saying mm, that's that's the idea that's, that's funny, the idea I guess. it's not i'm not saying that's a reality and obviously mm. he's not saying that's the reality but mm. you know i think that's again but it's another it's another blanket of of liberty that we see that mm. or, or or superiority that we have mm. it's like oh we are we are the west we are yeah. just we are freedom fighters you know like and you know we we're going into um, we got invading this country because they've got you know, weapons of mass destruction. We need to you know we need to save these people. We need to you know it's always some kind of bullshit like that. Mm, I'm, I'm glad you've actually um, teased teased this out of me because I've been watching so much, reading so much about this stuff over the past few weeks. I've just been like so anti-Russian, so never, never, never pro West or pro pro American, but um. This just makes me think of so many analogs of, um, especially like ancient Sparta and Athens. So, you know, just, Amer I think America and the West pretty much do the same thing, but they go about it by different means. So, okay, war is the absolute most evil thing I could ever imagine. Mass murder on such a level is so, you know, odious that I don't even want to think about it. But, um, America has figured out another way of doing it through capitalism, through overthrowing states, by turning them into de democracies to, um, you know, that's kind of what happened. Working with NATO, working with NATO. Yeah. So that's becoming a democracy. You have to be a democracy. You have to have a certain amount of, um, what do you call it, um, military kind of thing. So this is kind of what um, Athens did after the Persians invaded and, and the Greeks won the war. It's called the Peloponnesian War. And um, Athens started this empire, but it wasn't really an empire. It was just like what, what America does. What, what they were doing was they created this, the Delian League or something. They created this kind of um, league or I don't know, like this group of, of city-states that all had to be democratic. They all had to add money to the coffers, which eventually all the money went into Athens itself. And they all had to sort of... Um, uh, pretty much commit to being subordinate to Athens. So it was sort of like, and, and it was also to the point where that if you didn't, they'd almost invade you. And if you disagreed with them, they'd overthrow you and force you into doing it. And that kind of what America does is they, they do the same thing, but they do it by proxy. They, they will overthrow a country and they will overthrow a, a, a president or a dictator that they don't like. And they'll try and is it Chile, um, Pinochet or something like that, or yep. even Saddam or 
um, Gaddafi. They go in there, they, they, I don't know about Gaddafi, but they, they, they overthrow these people who keep these countries under control some way or another, whether it's, you know, good or not. And they try to create their own sort of system in there, which is pretty much making someone else do the dirty work for them. Isn't that Afghanistan as well? Yeah, under 100%. Yeah, yeah, they didn't like the, They didn't like the government, so they went in and said, we can fix you and our way. Iran in the Iranian revolution. Iran. Um, yeah, they... No, they did. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, think that was, yeah. I think, yeah, I think that was the, the, the British as well. I think the British yeah, had yeah. a big hand in that, but it's it's the same. Yeah, it's it, this is what I'm saying. It's these under, underhand politics and, and corruption. clever. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the, the, the Russia's kind of left behind. China's left behind in this in this game, but they it's a, they're a lot more transparent. But a lot of that, mm. how much of this stuff is still happening today? Mm. Oh, it is. Um, from what I saw, this is a bit, a bit of a digression. They reckon what's his name? Mamua Muama Gaddafi, the guy who was the leader of uh, Libya. Um, I never saw the footage until the other day. There's actually footage of him being lynched on the street. Right. Um, and they reckon that Putin sat there for like weeks and weeks just watching that video over and over again because they were good friends or whatever. And um, it's it was called the Arab Spring, the Arab Uprising, about 2009 when all the, you know, I think it was like the culmination of the Iraq-Afghanistani war and all these um, Middle Eastern countries like Egypt started overthrowing their um, dictator, dictators and, and things like that. And Putin got really fucking shit scared about the whole fucking thing. So I think I started cementing his um, his mindset into, you know, cracking down on the people and uh, maintaining his power. And then again, we, we go to um, the Ukraine where just 2014, um, they overthrew their pro-Russian government and... Uh, he got shit scared and invaded Ukraine. So, or Crimea and yeah. I guess that's, that's been my, like, I, I haven't got the historical like context and, and depth of, of um, content knowledge that you have, but that's kind of like what I feel is a big part of that. Cause when I was, when I've heard Putin speak, there is that um, underlying resentment. And I think this, this feeling of hypocrisy, because mm-hmm. it's ultimately it's it's geo clandestine politics and it's mm-hmm. it's it's a lot of it is um like maybe an evolution of colonialism colonialism uh, mm-hmm. and, and imperialism that is Damn. now yeah that is mm-hmm. now mani- it manifests in different ways but it's still always in in corrupt um strategic implementations of power that that benefit certain countries so mm-hmm. I, I i think that is just human nature and i think that is the element that is just the 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 um the the, the manifestation of, of politics in a global scale with with humanity mm. but i i think what's not said i, I feel like that's neat that's something that we need to be a bit more real about and, and honest about okay how much how much interference is the united states doing you know uh australia how you know how do we how do we play a part in this and, and how do other countries, these rich countries kind of like, let's say bully, or uh, let's not use the word bully, but maybe um, coerce or, or collude, you know, consolidate power. So it benefits the, uh, the, the objectives of the West. So I, I don't know if we had a bit more information, 
I think if people had a bit more information instead of, because like, you know, mm -hmm. like if, if you go to Cuba and you hear the Cuban government talk about the American government, it's, it's really weird when you hear it from their point of view, right? Obviously it's all propaganda. Like when the Cuban government took and they demonized the American government, they, they say, people say. Yeah, the Cuban government, when they're demonizing the American government about how, what the, what's being done to them, and that they're they're meant to be a, a communist country of you know, liberty mm -hmm. and freedom, and all about the people, like it's just so interesting hearing it from their point of view, right? And when you hear it, you're like, wow. And obviously, it's super. It's 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 their skewed version, and I'm not saying it's real, but some things, little bits of information are real, right? It's but it's their the flip side is just so unreal. And we, we don't get, I don't know, do we get to see the flip side of it in our, in our propaganda, in our media, in our history? Uh, I feel like, and that's one of the reasons why I didn't even want to talk about this, because I feel like we're not even, we, unless you go out of your way to really study this stuff, it's, it's, you're just walking in blind and you're not, you don't have an idea of, you know, re, even remotely of the two, the two sides to the, to the coin, right? You're muted. It goes back to your topic about the you know, hermeneutic circle. You know, you're always, you're always stepping in and out of the of your, your personal um, uh, information, your mind bank, and the external world, and seeing it from different perspectives. So no one can see the whole world from all perspectives. We're not omniscient. We can't really see what's all going on. Even Putin or whoever doesn't know what's going on. You know, we're all just sort of taking chances or guessing, and um, you know, filling in the filling in the blank spots with whatever information we have and some people do that more than others you know some people are able to um admit that there are black spots other people fill it in right i think that's a that's a great point a very strong articulate point and it's it's kind of like this is why you know i would argue that you've just you as a critical thinker if you want to be a, a mature uh citizen of a country you should be thinking for yourself and you should be looking at it holistically and understand that there are so much bias and prejudices that we have, we, we have, there's so much propaganda that it's, it's kind of like, you don't want to be trusting anything and you don't want to be trusting the information just from your own country and your own point of view. It's kind of mm -hmm. like you want to be able to educate yourself. If you go to university and you study, you know, foreign mm -hmm. politics, right. You'll get, I think you'll get a pretty good, you get a pretty good overall, a pretty more objective point of view mm. than you would. You would get the leftist point of view, mm. I think. You get indoctrination. You would get indoctrination, but you would Jordan, still. Jordan would say the leftist point of view, but either way, you're getting someone's point of view. But I think you would get at least the the an understanding oh, or an empathy again, for for the East. Like I think you would if, get a lot more of that if if you're driven and open-minded like the, the point of university is to study for yourself so if you're driven to actually keep on looking and finding different avenues you, you will find a more balanced it, that perspective. Is, i i i think that would be the case but right? that's individual and, right but i think the courses are also structured so that they should allow you to have both mm -hmm. they wouldn't you would not be going to a university course i don't mm -hmm. think and they wouldn't be demonizing the the east because if no. if if you Everyone were is. Right. If, but if you were going to one of those type of university courses, you might as well be studying um, the West mm. in Russia because mm. you might as well be, we, we, we would be complete hypocrites, right? I'm not, a, a, well, yeah, we would not allow the 
two sides of the coin. I, from my experience at university, I felt like they get they gave you uh they gave you two sides of the coin, right? They, mm. they, they and they allowed you to kind of come to your own conclusions. But or like maybe like someone like yourself, where mm. you you make an effort to go and research and listen and read um, and talk to people, so that you can get a broader perspective of um mm. the biased nature of of history i guess mm. so i don't want to i don't want to forget about name soon but um i don't i don't want to uh, you know trail out sort of justifying where putin has gotten himself to or what he's doing uh the, the main justification that i'm giving him is um where he's found himself in history you know he is he is a product of the society of global geopolitical community um it's not like you know you know he's the first person to do it he might be the last person to do it but um either way you know invading a country to me is not justified and i think i said to you the other day even if there are you know some ethnic russians who live on the ukrainian border close to um to russia and they want to be part of russia I'm sure that most of them don't want to see all the bloodshed that's taking place just in order for them to become Russian, you know, under the sovereign banner of Russia, you know. Absolutely. And I, it, it blows my mind as well at the power of, of nationalism, but also when you have a country mm -hmm. like um, Ukraine and they have, they're trying to adopt like Western style democracy and, well, and asking for it. Yeah. And they, and they, that's exactly they're, they're trying to li literally separate themselves from that ideology and from that um really i don't want to say oppression but i would say it is mm. oppression you know like you, when you're talking about um rest restriction of information you're talking about limited expression of um mm. of sexuality uh like you said limited uh, um uh, like communication or, or being able to verbalize a opposition of, of government mm. Right. Mm. Yeah. Government opinion. That's all. That's all oppression. Right. That's the state. Um, what was that, it? They said if you say if you even say war or mention that there's war going on now, you go to jail for 12 years or something like that. They, right. There was one thing. This guy was walking down the main street of some mosque, like Moscow or something, with a blank. Uh, I saw that. On a piece of chest. Yeah, it was a piece of paper. Him. Yeah, they arrested him. Like, oh, they they are in in the in the Russian government's defense. They asked him to they asked him to stop his protest three times or two times. Protest. <laughs> he <laughs> says, "Can you please uh, can you please stop the this this activity on the street?" And they they said mm -hmm. uh, they they gave him like three chances, and they're like, "All right, mm. you know, if you want to fuck with us, no worries. We're gonna just arrest your ass." Mm. And they did. Mm. So that that's oppression. That, that's, that won't happen here. Yeah. No, exactly, mm. and that and that's that wouldn't happen in most democratic democratic mm. capital, you know, type governments where it's it's all about it's it's the, the onus is all, well the the onus is on the individual and it's all about the rights of the individual and the liberties to be able mm. to you know to to protest and free expression and and to have um have an opinion et cetera et cetera. So it's mm. it's I don't know. I feel like a lot of it has has stemmed from these crazy ideologies that you know, the, 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 the West and then the East and uh, look at them very differently and how they think mm. a government should be, um, should operate and, and have control over their people. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of freedom from the American. What do you, what do you think is the best indication of how well a country is generally doing or how well a government is generally huh. doing? Like what, what do you oh, think is, government. yeah. Like what is the, 
what is your indication of, you know, you're looking at any country that I think there's like almost 200 or 210 countries. How would you, you know, what would you say would be the, the indicators to how a country, the country's government is, is, is operating adequately or sophisticated, sophisticately. Well, the classic, the classic phrase is, uh, you know, how well a government is operating usually, usually by how well they treat their lowest common denominator or how they treat their, you know, lowest, weakest, um, civilians or members. That's a classic phrase, probably a Stuart Mill kind of quote. Mm. Yep. I've, I've always said something similar to that is just kind of like how well, how much opportunity and how generally well do the people get to live, you know, when they're within that reign or, or government, you know, what opportunities do they have? What is the overall quality mm. of lifestyle, quality of life, mm. opportunities what? to travel, mm. income, buy property. Mm. Well, just do what, just pretty much do what everyone else can do. If one person can do it, everyone else should be able to do it um but, opportunity um, it seems like the family's back we might have to call it a uh, stop here but um maybe we okay. can continue this next time around i think we can probably go on for another hour yeah no, that was good man i i really enjoyed that i i don't have mm -hmm. a lot of i don't have your content knowledge but um it was good to just got, ask ask you some questions and, and i've got plenty more to say yeah there's plenty more things i've got to say <laughs>